I'm Pastor Gerald Rico, and this message is a part of our online ministry here at River of Life in Menominee, Wisconsin. To find out more about us, please visit our website, riveroflife.co. Again, that is riveroflife.co. But for now, prepare your heart and enjoy this message. Well, as we get started this morning, I just have to ask, have you ever read the Bible looked at the words of Jesus and just thought, man, this guy's wrong. Okay, I'm, anybody at all? No? You're, you're, you're not brave enough to admit that sometimes what Jesus says seems a little bit strange? Well, okay, I got, I got one person in the front. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. So here's the truth. There, there's a lot of things that Jesus says that are hard. There's a lot of things that he says that are difficult to grasp. And and I want to take some time and look at some of his sayings that you you may not want to admit that they're hard, but I think they're hard. I think think they're hard for a lot of people here in the West especially because it's very easy for us to get comfortable hearing the words of Jesus and not take to heart what he's really saying. And so I'm going to read through a handful of things pretty fast. Uh, This is the time I want to remind you what Mark has already said. If you haven't uh, jumped on and looked at our online bulletin, uh, if you're a note taker, you're not going to be able to keep up with me. Uh, so, um, So this would be a good time if you want to see where all of the notes are, all the references. This is where it's going to be. So I, I just want to read through a couple of statements that Jesus made and, and, and kind of look at it from the light of, is this really what he meant? Okay, so the first one is here. Be aware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Wait a minute. Isn't that exactly what we measure people by, their wealth, their income level, I feel like there's whole categories devoted in our culture to putting people into economic strata. Okay, so next one. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Wait, that doesn't seem very responsible, Jesus. I mean, aren't we supposed to be saving and you know, building up our 401k, right? Or, or how about this one? I tell you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Hold on right there. Isn't that exactly what we worry about? Aren't we consumed and care about the everyday life stuff? All right, let's try another one. The message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So wait a minute, Jesus, are you actually telling me that if I care about gaining wealth, if I care about other things, that it's going to choke the message of the gospel out of my life? All right, we'll do one more. It is easier for, the cam- for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now this one we feel we get, right? Because we're all those rich people. All those rich people, they just don't get it. They just don't get the plight of us common people, right? You know, but unfortunately, if you were here last week, you realize we're all rich. 
On a global standard, we have wealth beyond what most of the world would ever consider owning. And so here we look at these things that Jesus said, and if we're honest, it's hard to grapple with this and live in America. It's hard to take what Jesus said seriously because we see an entire culture devoted against this. And so we are going to continue with the series that we started looking at this idea of what is Jesus teaching us about the light and easy life that he's promised us. And so today, as we continue with that, I want to talk about living with less. And now, this is not where you need to guard your wallet. I'm not going to take up another offering and ask you to uh, give more. I, I, but I do want us to consider what it would mean to live with less. Because I think this is a discipline. I, and I know it's probably not one that you've heard at church much. It's probably not one you've seen on your list of spiritual disciplines. But I want to talk about a discipline that cuts at the very core of who we are as Americans. Again, if we're honest, America is about accumulation. There is so much in our culture that tells you, if you have this, you'll be happy. If you get this, you'll be satisfied. If you have this many figures in your salary, then you've really arrived. And maybe we've been sold a lie. Maybe Jesus wasn't just a great Savior, which he is. We're here this morning because we believe Jesus is an amazing Savior. But what if he's also the greatest teacher that ever lived? And these teachings that I just read point to something that is what he is leading us toward. You know, we've been looking every week at this idea of Jesus calling us to a yoke that is light and easy. What if part of the pathway to this is learning to live with less? You see, when you look around our country, we, we're, we're a country of more. We want more. We want bigger. We want greater. And in the economy of the world, we do have it. We, we have so much. We, we have an excess of everything. We have an excess of everything except happiness. Look around. There, there's more people on prescription drugs to deal with the unhappiness in their lives than you could even imagine. We, we have all this stuff and no happiness we, 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 we are surrounded with luxury. We are surrounded with all these things. If you don't believe me, just, just think about if you want to go out to eat after this meal or after this, yeah, this is, this is kind of a meal, after this service. You get to choose where you want to go to eat. Matter of fact, you'll probably drive past four or five or six other restaurants to get to the place you want to eat. We have more of everything Accept happiness. So, so what should we do about that? Should we just burn it all down, just take all our possessions and go you know, start a big bonfire in, in our yard? 
Should we go back to living without houses or, or go decide we're going to go hang out with the Amish? I mean, is that what we need to do? We need to cut up all our debit cards and just, you know, we're, we're going to go on handouts only. No. Because that won't really fix the problem. The problem isn't our stuff. It's that we put no limits on how much stuff we go after. We, we just keep trying to feed this insatiable desire we have for more. And we have been tricked into thinking that we need all sorts of things to be happy. I mean, think about the things we say we need. We need a car. We need a cell phone. Well, you better be having a multivitamin. But here's the thing. Those things didn't even exist 100 years ago. So how did all those people for all those years be happy? They must have been just miserable, right? Of course not. It's not the stuff. It's our understanding of what really leads to happiness. And shockingly, the New Testament puts our needs at two things. There's only two things you need to actually be content. According to Paul writing to his uh, disciple Timothy, he said, So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Now, I will say this is one part where Paul might be a little bit wrong because they're living in the Mediterranean. And so if you live up here in the Northwoods, you probably want to put shelter on that list too. You don't want to be outside right now with just food and clothing. I mean, you, 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 need, you need some place to live. But, but even if I were to expand it to that list of three, how many of you feel like that would be enough for you? How many of you find it difficult to believe that is enough? I mean, just understand, if that's you, you're not alone. We have been sold another gospel. We have been taught. We have been attacked by the media, by the advertising agencies, by the propaganda police, that if you really want happiness, all it is is getting the new iPhone. All it is is drinking Coca-Cola. All it is is getting that dream vacation with your family. Because Disney, Disney World, it's the happiest place on earth, right? Until you have to stand in line in squaltering heat and just go, ah, oh, why did I bring my family here? You know, it, it's like we're told all of these things are going to bring about happiness, but they don't. And so today, the spiritual discipline I want to talk about is simplicity. Simplicity. Now, simplicity probably isn't a word you're going to find in the Bible, but the principles of it are all over in there. And it's something that has been talked about in the church from the beginning. You, you'll find talking of simplicity, you'll find talking of simple life. The monks like to call it frugality. Now, that word has been turned into, if you're frugal, really what that means is you're cheap. Now, it's not the same thing. So frugality, right now, the big buzzword that you'll hear a lot is minimalism. Yeah. And, and minimalism, just like I talked about a couple weeks ago, how, uh, what is it, mindfulness is just silence and solitude without Jesus. 
Minimalism is kind of the same thing. Although I think you can insert Jesus into minimalism, but if you're worshiping minimalism instead of Jesus, uh, again, I think, I think you got it backwards. But, but I, just, I just like the word simplicity. Learning this discipline of living with less. So the interesting thing is when you look at the teachings of Jesus, he, he's, like I said, he's a great teacher. 25% of everything Jesus taught was on the subject of money and possessions. And most of it wasn't flattering. I don't know where they get the prosperity gospel, but it wasn't from Jesus. Let, let's just, and the thing is, when we look at what he says, typically he's not saying things that, okay, here's how to build this, here's how to do this. He's just giving truths. He's not giving commands so much. He's just giving truth. These are the things that will help you live better. So I want to look at three of those really quickly. Three things where you see Jesus just saying, this is how it is. First one we find in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Interesting part about this passage is that phrase never shows up in the Gospels. Paul just says, as Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, there were other teachings of Jesus that didn't make it into the Gospels. But this was one that the early church recognized, and Paul could quote with certainty that the people believed this is something Jesus said. And he's not saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't give. He's saying, just simply, it's better more joy will come in your life if you learn to be someone who gives. Here's another one. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. He doesn't say you shouldn't serve God and serve money. He just says you can't. Period. The two are mutually exclusive. If you think you're doing it, you're wrong. And, And let me just say this. If ever you think Jesus is wrong, you're probably the one that's wrong. I'll I'll just put that out there. But anyway, so one more. Life is not measured by how much you own. Again, it's not a command. It's not saying you can't own nice things. It's just saying you can't measure your life by it. You can't say you are someone who's achieved something because you have lots of stuff or because you have a really nice job or because you have something that is of worth in the bank. I mean, here's a truth that I think we need to understand and that we need to recognize. In, In our world, we seem to think that more stuff equals more happiness. But what if Jesus was right? What if our culture is what is wrong? Our culture is what has been lying to us in that more stuff actually equals more problems. More stuff actually equals less of what matters most. Less time, less financial freedom, less generosity, which is what Jesus said real life really comes from. Less peace as we rush through the parking lot to get all of our stuff that we just bought at the mall stuffed into our car. Less focus on what life is actually about. Less mental real estate to be creative, less relationships, less margin, less prayer, less 
of what your heart actually aches for. See, the truth is, you are going to live with less. You just get to choose what you get to live with less of. And simplicity is a way that you can say, I am going to own some stuff, but I'm not going to let my stuff own me. I really like, uh, there's a pastor named Josh Becker who he's kind of turned into a writer about minimalism and simplicity. And this, this is his simple definition of simplicity. The intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. That's good. Let me, let me reread that. The intentional promotion of things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. Notice this is not just about our money. This is a whole life orientation. Saying, I'm going to make sure whatever I put in my life, it orients me to what is most important. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that should be Jesus. That, that we're putting Jesus in the first place and anything else we bring in our life either orients us toward him or we take it out because it's a distraction. And, and all of Christian life will be a balance of learning how to do that. In the book that we've been going over, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, Pastor Comer puts in 12 items that you can use right now to promote living this way. I picked five that I really liked and I want to share them with you. Um, if you want more, go buy the book. It's a good book. Um, and so it's worth looking at list of 12. But first on the list was, before you buy something, ask yourself, what is the cost, the true cost of this item? So we live up here where there's plenty of snow most of the year, right? A big item that you'll see for sale all over the place here are snowmobiles. I think snowmobiles are great. But if you're going to buy a snowmobile, you need to ask yourself, what is the true cost? Not just the sticker price, but how much is it going to cost me extra at work to finance that thing? As I'm paying $200, $300 a month to finance this thing for the next five years. How much is it going to cost in my peace of mind having to try to place, find a place to store it and upkeep? And not only that, if you buy it, you probably should go out and write it sometime. You know, and if you like writing it with other people, you're going to have to find ways of making that happen. So you're not just asking how much does it physically cost, the actual dollars and cents, but what is the true cost? And, and if you go through that analysis and it's worth it and spending time out going 50 miles an hour on a snowdrift brings you joy, then do it. There's nothing wrong with that, but make sure you count the cost ahead of time. Another important part to do now that you're thinking about snowmobiles is never impulse buy. Just because something sounds exciting and it's on sale right now for 50% off and if you don't get it today, you lose out. You're no longer in the happiness club. Just stop. Push back against that for a second. 
and sit on it. Even overnight. I would say the bigger the purchase, the longer you sit on it. And you pray and you ask God, do I need this in my life? And if God says you don't, why would you want something in your life that doesn't have his blessing on it anyway? Even if it's really cute and 25% off. Number six on his list is get in the habit of giving things away. I tell you what, my family is learning this in spades. Like we, we're just like, how much more stuff can we just get out of our house? The, Anna didn't know what I was talking about today. At least I don't think so. And so I woke up yesterday morning and she's like, these boxes, they just, they have to go. We had a stack of boxes, and I'm, I'm telling you, we're not even all the way through them, but we had a stack of boxes that we have had in boxes since Georgia. That, that, that was seven years ago, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And so, like, we haven't even opened those boxes. It was kind of a, it was kind of a fun day. Like, we're opening, oh, I forgot we had that. Oh I, forgot. oh, I don't need that anymore. And so, Hope Gospel Bargain Center just got blessed yesterday. We're like, this stuff can go and bless some other people. Learn to give stuff away. I mean, there's, there's just a joy to it. There's a joy in getting it out of your house. And if you can, bless somebody else in the process. Now, if it's junk and it needs to go to the garbage, throw it in the garbage. Don't give it away to other people. I mean, just, you know, get it, get it out of your house. But if it can bless somebody, let, let me let you know, Anna and I have been married for 23 years. In that time, we have owned eight vehicles. We've only purchased one. Seven of them have been given to us. Two of them we drove right into the ground. Two of them we still own. But four of them we gave away. We're just like, we don't need this anymore. And we bless somebody else with them. It's not that we're extravagantly wealthy and we, we can just give away cars. It was like, it was a gift to us. Let's give it away to someone else. Like, someone blessed us. I, I didn't have permission to share, but someone gave us a treadmill. They couldn't use it anymore and they knew I was a runner. And so now on these frigid days, I enjoy the fact that I don't have to go to a gym. I can just get up and, and go into my living room and go for a run. You don't know how giving stuff away might bless someone else. And again, make sure it's really a blessing and not you're just getting rid of junk. Hey, this junk would look great in your house. You know, it's just like, but, but learn, learn the value of it. Again, isn't that what Jesus said? It's more blessed to give? Another probably unpopular one, number seven, live by a budget. And all the Dave Ramsey people said, Amen. This is something that is so revolutionary. So many people get to the end of the, the month and they have more month than they have paycheck. That's because, you know, and I, I understand, some people, it, it, life is hard. But for most people, it means there just needs to be an adjustment in where you're spending your money. You should always have a plan for what your money is going to do for you or your money is just going to do whatever it wants to do. Again, that sale is going to come up and that's going to look awful nice unless you have a budget and you say, I don't have that in my budget this month. 
And so you learn to live by that. If this is something you struggle with, we have held financial peace courses here at the church in the past, and I would be interested in doing it again if there's enough people who said, I, I need that in my life. This is an important thing that we, we learn because if we can make sure we do this right, we can bless other people. I, we did this a few years back, and um, we've had different people come in and out of the class, and I was stopped on the street by someone, they recognized me like, I took that class with you a couple years ago. I just want to let you know, I'm now debt free. And that's so exciting because do you know what you can do when you're debt free? Whatever you want. So get a budget, get out of debt. Make sure your money's doing what you want your money to do. And probably my favorite is on the list was number 12. Lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. St. Francis, the monk, he had a group of uh, disciples that followed him around and they were really big on the frugality thing and that was what they called their quest, a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. I, I, I love it. Now, they took a vow of poverty, but you don't have to. You can, you can live this way by saying, I reject our culture's statement that more stuff equals more happiness. I'm going to live in opposition to that. And I'm going to learn to use what God gives me to bless me and to bless others. See, the irony is simplicity is not a cheap answer. And understand, it's not the only answer either. That just, just living simply doesn't mean you're going to be completely happy. It's not, there's no magic pill here. I think as we add all of those things into our lives, we begin to see that grow. But simplicity, it's going to cost you. But I so love what Dallas Willard, uh, I mentioned him at the early part of the series. I'm reading a book of his called The Great Omission. And in it, he says, the cost of discipleship is high, but the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. You can, you can choose your cost right now. You can say, I'm going to live more simply so that I can live more free, so I can live with less hurry. It's going to cost you something, but what you get is more peace and joy. Or, you can have less of that and more hurry. And that will cost you too. It will cost you health. It will cost you relationships. It will cost you all sorts of things. What do you want more of? What do you want less of? What do you want to learn to live with less of? I want more joy personally. And here's the thing. If this is something you're dedicated to, I believe you can do it. Do you know why I believe you can do it? Because I was taught by Paul that I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Don't you just love that verse? Doesn't that just make you want to take on a mountain, want to go after the most extravagant thing? The crazy thing is, the context here is actually simplicity. This verse gets overused so much by Christians. I've seen it on t-shirts. I've seen it as tattoos. I've seen it on gym, like, in, in workout places, up on the wall, trying to encourage people, you can do everything through Christ who strengthens you. 
But that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about simplicity, and he was talking about it in prison. He was doing it while he was thanking the Philippians for the gift that he had been sent. But he wanted to let them know, I'm thankful, but I didn't need it, but I'm still thankful. And this is the full context, starting in verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You can do this. Christ can strengthen you. It's your choice whether you want to lean into this. And the beautiful part about this is it can be true right here, right now. It's not dependent on anything. It's only dependent on you leaning into Christ who wants to strengthen you. You need to invest what you have into his kingdom. You need to invest your time, your energy, and allow that to do what God has called you to do. You can be rich and you can have a satisfying life no matter what you have. So you can be rich or poor. You can be single or married. You can be infertile or counting the days until your four kids get out of the house. You you can be crushing your dream job or just working a minimum wage J-O-B. Right now, you have everything you need to be happy, to have a content life. You have access to the Father. You have His loving attention. You have a Savior who died for you. Let's learn to be content in that. I know it's not easy. I know it's not something that is going to just happen in a moment. Maybe it could for you. I don't know. But for most of us, we're going to actually have to work towards this but it's something worth working toward. So, let's live it this week. Here's a couple of things that you can do. Let's break our fasts with joy. If you've been a part of our Daniel fast, most of you should be done. If you're still going, great. But when you break it, break it with joy. Come out of this with excitement. We're, we're going we're gonna to take some time, some extra time at the end of this service and celebrate Because we believe God has done great things. And we want to celebrate that. Let's go into this week looking for joy. Looking for what God has done. Seeing the evidence of what he has taught us during this time of fasting. Then practice simplicity. Find some way to live more simply this week. Maybe it could be just as simple as putting a box or putting a tote at your front door. And walk through your house and drop stuff in it that you know you're not using anymore, that you could give away. And then once the box is full, take it to Goodwill or take it to Hope Gospel Center or take it someplace and just bless people. Take some time this week and focus on the glory of God. We've been looking at the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus. Let's take some time this week and focus on resurrection power because that's what we believe in. We believe in the resurrection power that gives us the strength to do all these things. 
So pick one of the Gospels. If you've been going through a specific Gospel, pick one that you've already gone through and read the resurrection. Or it, it, it's a whopping five chapters. Read all five chapters on the resurrection of Jesus. See how the Jesus coming out of the grave changed everything. And it should change everything for us too. We should live with unusual amounts of joy because we serve a risen Savior. And then finally, tell me what you're learning. I would love to hear what God has been teaching you during this time, either through this message of simplicity or what you've learned through the Daniel fast or, or anything else God has been putting on your heart this new year. But let's be people who live this out.